0: Hello and welcome to Episode 9 of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. Prior to 2014, I had never run a distance longer than 10K. But by rubbing elbows alongside other runners at the Thursday night races at Ashley Reservoir, I became more familiar with folks who had completed half marathons and marathons. At that time, I thought 26.2 was the ultimate distance. But then I heard friends talk about training for ultra marathons, distances longer than 26.2 miles. Races of 50 kilometers, 50 miles, 100 kilometers, 100 miles, running for eight hours straight, running for 24 hours straight. As time went on, it appeared that there were more and more ultra events. And that is in fact the case. When, Run ultra, when the Run Ultra website was started in 2006, there were 160 races listed globally. By 2018, that number ballooned to 1,800 races, over a 1,000% increase. The Sugarloaf Sun, a bi-monthly newsletter published by the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club, devoted an entire issue to ultra running. You can find it on the SMAC website. One of my friends who is an enthusiastic ultra runner is Sarah Bousquet. Sarah has run in 15 ultra events from December 2014 until today. And Sarah is my featured guest on this podcast. Sarah and I talk about her running in general. She recently completed two marathons over a three-week period. And then we dive into ultra running and training and briefly touch upon some of Sarah's impressive professional accomplishments. If you've been thinking about taking the plunge into ultra running, you won't want to miss this episode. Here's my conversation with Sarah, and stay tuned afterwards for a rundown of local running events. I'd like to now welcome Sarah Bousquet to the podcast. I've had the pleasure of knowing Sarah since 2014 when I joined the Empire One Running Club. Sarah is an accomplished runner, having completed numerous marathons. But the marathon distance isn't enough for Sarah. Based on a search on ultra sign-up, Sarah has run 15 ultra events from December 2014 until now. So in addition to her awesome running, Sarah has many professional accomplishments as well. She has a doctorate degree from AIC. She teaches psychology and coaches cross-country at Cantasqua Regional High School. She's taught at Yale and is starting a new teaching position, teaching psychology at Johns Hopkins University. Sarah has conducted research internationally on extended assignments in both Germany and Bulgaria. So, Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Tam. It's such an honor to be here.
0: Yeah, and I see. Oh, we're, we're recording this interview on Zoom, and and uh, your, your cats joined you.
1: has, <laughs> yes, Rory loves. Rory, Rory
0: yeah, I've heard a lot about Rory. <laughs> probably get to see Rory. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so we used to see each other quite frequently at events, but with you know races being shut down due to the pandemic, we haven't seen each other in quite some time. Um, I think trying to. I was trying to think back. When was the last time we actually were t- were together? And I think it was during the fall of 2019 when we used to both meet on Tuesday nights at Fitzwillies with, with some of the smack people and, and run along the bike path. So anyway, I think that's the last time. So it's uh, been probably like a year and a half.
1: close. <laughs> well, I think we might've been running at Forest Park together the day of Olivia's wedding.
0: That's, oh, that's right. I, yeah, that's right. You were there. I wasn't sure if you were there that day. That was the last time I, I had this conversation with Don Roberts. And and uh, I think that was the last time I had seen her it was, was it was the last day of the Snowstorm Classic uh, at, at Forest Park. And it was, yeah, Olivia, um, day of Olivia's Matt's wedding. But anyway, I'd like to talk about your overall running in general, and, and then we'll get into ultras and um, and training and, and and touch briefly on some of your professional accomplishments. Have you been keeping up with your running during the pandemic?
1: I have, Tim. Running has been one of the things that I felt I could kind of control during the pandemic. So I set some mileage goals and tracked them consistently. And it kind of was something I could do. Even though rather do the group, I could do it on my own. And it gave me a sense of normalcy. So I actually added a lot more miles than usual over the last year or so.
0: So you just completed the Providence Marathon. And three weeks prior, you completed uh, the Cheap Marathon in Salisbury. I I wasn't familiar with the Cheap Marathon, but uh, so what was it like running two marathons in in three weeks?
1: It was different. It was my first time doing them that close. I had done an ultra four weeks before, a marathon before, and had success. And this time my goal was to have two rather long training runs when I was getting ready for the Vermont One Hundred. Okay. So the goal of the two was kind of to practice my nutrition and have a well-supported training route, especially with group runs not really happening these days.
0: I did something similar back in, in 2016. So I, I ran two marathons in, in two weeks because um, wow. I had run the Boston Marathon and I missed my BQ time by one minute. And so I was so frustrated with that that I, I registered for the Holyoke Marathon, which was two weeks later to get the BQ, you know, for the following year. And, but, but then later that summer I was played with um, like Achilles injuries and, and that slowed me down for, for a number of months. I mean, you have no, any qualms about running two marathons in three weeks again, seems like it's worked out well for you.
1: So far things are good, but I don't think it's a scientifically suggested method by any means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily think one should do it. But I guess for me, I was at a point where the trading method I use says to do about up to 20 to 30% of of your weekly mileage on your long run Mm -hmm. time period. It kind of worked out mathematically. I definitely took a lot of downtime in between them during those three weeks in between. I dropped my mileage to about 50% all three weeks. So hopefully I won't pay for it later. But right. I think your your concern about long-term injury is really valid. And I hope you got your BQ at that second event. I
0: did actually. Actually, that was um that race was, was actually my PR for a marathon. So so it worked out well.
1: Congratulations. Remember Rick,
0: remember Rick Rubin, he had a theory. It was um people would run train, run, train, run. But he thought, well, once you're trained up for a marathon, you might as well just kind of run them in succession so his mantra was train run run
1: I love that
0: but speaking of the Boston Marathon you, you and I both ran it in 2014 it, it, that was my first Boston and certainly one, that was one of the most memorable days of my life and, and I remember you were you were in the Harriers bus uh, from, going from West Springfield uh, to Hopkinton. do you have any memories from that day
1: Yeah, uh, I remember 2015 is Boston. I was really hoping to do a lot better than I ended up doing. I think I overestimated my abilities and underestimated the impact of the rain that day. I don't know if you remember the rain.
0: I do, but I I like the rain. (laughs) I like the rain and the cooler weather.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad you did. My hands got hypothermia, and I remember I crossed the finish line, and there was a there was a volunteer there, and I needed to text my mother, who was my ride home, and my fingers were so cold, I couldn't use the iPhone to do it. So this strange man, who was a lovely volunteer, helped me out, and that was like the nicest thing, the most kindness of have for a volunteer. He was so polite to like, reach into my running belt because my hands wouldn't even bend to grab the phone. It was great.
0: So, so I had a similar situation with my phone. Oh, I couldn't use it. My phone had died. And, and uh, so I had no way of contacting my wife. And, and so I had to rely on a, a stranger to borrow their phone so that I could text my wife to let her know where I was after the race.
1: <laughs> oh, thank goodness uh, so, for the kindness of
0: strangers. That's right. That's right. So continuing on the marathon theme, you, you ran two indoor marathons. They were arena attack series marathons. One was in Massachusetts and one was in Rhode Island. And, and I remember the Massachusetts event. It, it was at the Mullen Center in, in Amherst. And it was the first indoor marathon ever in Massachusetts. And you were the first female finisher, which makes you the first woman ever to cross the finish line in an indoor ma- marathon in Massachusetts. And I believe you had a similar experience in Rhode Island.
1: I did.
0: So for those who aren't familiar with the arena attack marathons. It's an indoor marathon run around the concourse of an arena. Um, so what was it like just I don't know, seeing the same snack bar over and over again?
1: Um, I think I'm okay with boredom of scenery as long as the company's good. And we had wonderful participants at both arena attacks, people who are kind, who could chat with you in the early miles when you didn't want to go out too fast. And For me, the hardest part was there's no GPS signal indoors. And so you don't know your current pace. You don't have a great idea of your mile markers. And because it's a circle, you can add a lot of distance if you don't hug the inside corner really well because you go around so frequently. So that was a learning experience. I remember with with a lot of fondness and gratitude, the Women's Ultimate Frisbee team at the UMass event Cheered for us by name over and over again every lap and it felt like hundreds of laps it might have not been 100 but it felt like it <laughs> and they were so committed and that reinforcement every two minutes or so really helped keep it interesting and made you feel part of a group so it was a wonderful event and the one in Rhode Island was similar the race director had reached out to myself as a female and to Ben Griffin he might know from the Berkshire Ultra Running Community Group and he didn't have the ability to do marathons in general in Rhode Island, but he invited each of us to be the first indoor marathoners in that state. So it was just really a wonderful experience all around. Uh, no one realized there's was the first female to complete the, the indoor marathon until partway through the event. So that was yeah. kind of funny. <laughs>
0: yeah. So yeah, you, you mentioned running, trying to run on the inside of the track. Um, I, I remember, I think my first marathon and I, had my garment on. And and when I was finished, I looked and it said I had run 26.6 miles. And so I I think maybe some of it might've been just, um, you know, error in the GPS, but, but I think some of it is not running the tangents, right. As they say, so you want to kind of cut the corners as tightly as possible. And because it all adds up and, and, uh, I I could see something like that. You could you know, easily add an extra mile or two.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, Yeah. So, um, so you've, You've run all distances, and from five k's up to a, you run a hundred mile uh, events, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, did, do you have a favorite distance?
1: I do. I think I have two that are tied. They're very different. I love the fifty mile distance. I like it because it's a whole day event for me. It takes you know around eleven hours, and depending on the terrain. And yeah, it's long enough where you don't have to kind of recruit friends to be your pacer. You can kind of just wing it a little bit as far as being on your own, having good supplies in your drop bags. And for that reason, it seems a little more manageable than when you get to the 100-mile distance. And for me, at least, that requires some pacers, some reliance on friends in the running community to help me through. So I love the 50-mile distance. And I you know, if it if it's not going to be the event of the season, I do still have a lot of affinity for the 5K for that feeling of like living on the edge of absolutely overdoing it and crashing if you go too fast. I like that <laughs> kind of feeling.
0: Yeah, so uh, certainly we both like the the 5Ks on Thursday nights at, at Ashley Reservoir. you um, sure do. Yeah. So, um, but 50 miles—that's a long time to be running without support. Uh,
1: most events have some aid stations uh, and some drop bags. So drop bags are you pack up all of your nutrition, changes of clothes, things like that, and they have them at certain mile markers for you. So you have that if needed. Most ultra events, there's not much as far as medical. You're kind of on your own, and that's okay. So in your drop bag, you may also have first aid supplies and things like that. But I think if you kind of plan on just being out in the woods for a while and think of it often, I like to think of an ultra as a picnic with a lot of running in between. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So on a recent podcast, uh, Jill Murphy from four run three, she, she had mentioned that the most challenging part of running long distances is the mental aspect of it. And and so, um, I could imagine that, you know, would be multiplied, um, uh, by quite a bit running an ultra. So, uh, Do you have some strategies for managing the the mental aspect of running uh, for all day?
1: Absolutely. Uh, And it's taken time. And I think I'll continue to add to my toolkit, so to speak. I think one of the first things that's really important for me is that I plan ahead as much as I can. So I have a chart with me, laminated usually in case of rain, with all of the physical feelings that suggest each type of nutritional deficiency. Mm-hmm. So if I start to feel off, I look at my little cheat sheet and I know, oh, that's potassium oh, that's calcium and make adjustments on the way. So I think the first thing is being prepared to feel bad. With that comes a lot for me of predicting what will hurt and then actually even whispering it out loud when it happens. So maybe I'm running and suddenly my hamstring hurts and I say to myself out loud a little bit like, oh, you knew your hamstring was going to hurt. There it is. You've been running a while. And then my brain stops telling me that my hamstring hurts because it kind of never up the message. <laughs> so that's pretty helpful for me to do that. Definitely to kind of break it up into sections. And if it is a long event where I have a crew member who might be handing me a snack on the way or a pacer, I just think to run to someone. So for my 100 miler, I remember thinking I was getting my first pacer, which was Ben Farrow at mile 70. And I just thought to myself, like, just make it to Ben. And then after that, just make it to Sharon Senez, He was there. So kind so, of having people to break up your event makes it a lot easier. stop
0: you there? So you ran 70 miles before you had your first pacer?
1: So, yeah. So I, I usually feel pretty comfortable doing at least 50. Wow. You know, that's, that's not too so, bad.
0: Yeah. So, um. So I just want to get back to you just running in general before we, we drill down on, on ultras. Um, so do you have a favorite place to go when you just kind of want to go out for a run?
1: Yeah, I think the places I go most commonly are actually where we both go. Uh, it's definitely my dad and I used to walk our dog there when we were younger. So it reminds me of him quite a bit. It's where I met the running community who is now by all means my best social support as far as friendships go. And then I do like Mount Holyoke college. I live right near there. And right now they're closed for the pandemic, but they have great track for track workout. They have some trails that are a mile or two. And often I've spent, you know, four or five hours just looping around the trail over and over again at Mount Holyoke, taking in the nature, you know, seeing that the wildlife is really good. And then for a real adventure, I like to go to Mohonk Preserve in New York. So I'll drive there for a long training run sometimes.
0: I know you, you did an event there a few years ago, right?
1: I did, the Rock the Ridge 50 was my first 50. I'm on the waiting list for this fall pending that they have a big enough deal this year. I hope to go back.
0: Yeah, ultras have become very popular. Uh, so uh, so, um, so when you're out running then, what's your favorite Taylor Swift song that you listen to?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good one, yeah. Tim, you make me laugh so much. At the last marathon, even a woman came up to me while I was running and said, can I just run next to you? I'm vaccinated and I need to hear your Taylor Swift. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's <are> so
1: many. <laughs> I think for an ultra, there's one out of the woods where she's wondering if she's out of the woods yet. Sometimes if that's a classic because you're not quite there. Like hmm. for an injury, you have to go and shake it off, obviously.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Depends on the moment, but she's got one for everything.
0: Right. So how many times have you seen her in concert?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um. At least six or seven. I'd be far wealthier if I didn't go. <laughs> You'll have to come on time, Tim. That might inspire you to run an ultra because Taylor oh. runs as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have, um, I, I've had no desire actually to take a step further than 26.2, but, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> you never um, know. Never know. So when did you start running? Were you a track star as, as a, a high schooler?
1: I participated in track. My cousin, Tom Bousquet was a wonderful track uh, athlete in our high school and Tom and I were close. So I joined track as a way to kind of spend more time with him and with my friend, Carrie. Unfortunately, I do not have Tom's speed and the coaches were quite disappointed to find a relatively average 800 meter runner, mile runner and two miler. But I fell in love with the sport and uh, believe it or not, I had been too afraid to run cross country. I thought it'd be too far to do a five k back then. So we started <laughs> wow. at track you, and then on.
0: Um... Yeah, you've certainly uh, transitioned to um, much longer distances. So, so let's uh, now talk about ultra running. Um, you know, I never knew that ultra running was even a thing until I joined the running club, and then mm-hmm. I heard people like you and Sharon Sine talk about it. And at first, I thought it was just some you know radical activity, but but. Now it's um, I think it's more mainstream uh, much more popular in recent years um, but and I kind of think of ultra running to running as um, as snowboarding the skiing so w- when I was skiing back in the early 80s and, and every once in a while I'd see a snowboarder out on the on the trails and on the slopes and, and um, but but then pretty soon I think there were more snowboarders and skiers and, and certainly the ski areas catered to, to snowboarding so that's I, I guess Ultra running in, in some ways for me is, is the same way where I, I, I thought it was kind of a, this far out activity, but now it's, uh, it's really become a mainstream activity. Um, and I think it feels like you, you're one of the early adopters, but you've run, you've run 15 ultra events um, from December, 2014 till now. At least that's from the, um, the ultra uh, website I looked at. Uh, I, I don't know if that's an accurate count or not. Maybe you've run more. But um,
1: I think I don't really keep track, but that sounds right. Ultra sign up is a great resource.
0: Yeah. So, so what made you decide to run ultras?
1: Yeah. So back in 2014, I went up with uh, Kayla from the Griffin's Friends and we crewed for Mark Rowe at his 50 miler. And that was my first exposure. And when I was there, I was thinking like, this looks really great. It was exciting to watch him complete his event. Jason paced him for some of it, which was great. And I remember thinking, this looks kind of like fun because I realized that you could do very well while still having conversation, while having kind of more of a out for a run mentality. You know, you're just out for the day. You're not watching the seconds. If your shoe gets untied, it's not going to cost you the event. And after that, I kind of processed it a bit. And then on a whim, I signed up and did the 50K in Springfield. That was my first event. I'd never run more than 13 miles before that. I just woke up one day and went because of the positive experience I had crewing up at the Vermont 50.
0: And that, and that was uh, Seth's fat ass 50, right? And and yeah. you, were, you were the first um, female finisher.
1: I so, was. was
0: so you, um, so after, after that, did, I mean, did you think this was easy? And <laughs>
1: I did. Um, I did think I was like, oh, I guess I like this, you know,
0: because. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, big,
1: a fun day and it, it turned out great. I'm really grateful that I had that exposure to the Vermont 50 and then to South Square is kind of a home course, you know, where if something went wrong. Well,
0: that's, my that's kind of laps through, through Forest Park, I believe, right? Sets.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just loop, loop, loop.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I think I was at Forest Park for the Snowstorm Classic race and I, I saw the, the, um, the, the ultras doing the, the 10 laps. But um, so you ran the um, Sweltering Summer Ultra in Pittsfield four or five times and you finished very well each time. In, in 2016, you were second in your division. In 2017, you won your division. And in 2018, you were third overall female finisher. And then in 2019, you were the second overall female finisher. So in that event, the objective is to run as many laps around a 0.355 mile track in, in eight hours. Um, so do you ever get bored running the same lap over and over again?
1: You know, you think I would, cause I have a horrible attention span, like quite problematic. But the great thing about expel during summer is the Berks community who runs the course, it pretty much is just like a running club party. There's a DJ the whole time, They have deliveries of different foods at different hours. And they have the most amazing volunteers where you have your number on your water bottles. You drop it in a bucket and they refill it with the hydration of your preference and put it on your table with your name on it. So it's an event where time goes by fast. You get to know everybody because a lot of us repeat it every year. And it's really kind of fun to watch the elite athletes do their whole event in front of your eyes because you get to watch them laugh you multiple times, you know, everyone together, I would think for anyone who's considering an ultra or is just looking for something fun to do for a whole day out in the sun, this while during summer is absolutely the highlight of it. A lot of us who go every year say it's better than Christmas. (laughs) And once you come in, you're going to be addicted. So that one is not boring. The scenery might be, but the people, the music, and the different interruptions for things like pizza delivery and popsicles make it quite the party.
0: Sure. It sounds like fun. So, so how do you, how do you determine your pace?
1: Yeah, I think it might depend on the events. So it's fall well during summer, pretty much I go into it knowing where I am that year. And I usually consider what I think I could do for a half marathon if I tried hard and was tired at the end. And then I back it up about 30 seconds to hit wow. the
0: first half marathon. Wow. So if if your half marathon pace was, I'll just say hypothetically, I don't know, nine minutes or 8.30, let's say even. So if it was 8.30, then you would just back it off to nine minutes? For
1: the half marathon, yeah, because it's a summer event. And by midday, you're going to slow down. We've had days where it was, you know, 90, we've had days where there were thunderstorms. So it's one of the weird events where you should always want a negative split, but as well during summer, if it's going to be 95 at the end of the right Greece, you're probably not going to pull that off.
0: So. So, but fact, so the 32nd rule applies to the first 13 miles. Is that, and, and then it yeah. kind of slows down after that a little.
1: Absolutely. Usually my mindset for that one, I have a mileage goal in mind and I, you know, go from there a little bit and think mathematically as I, you know, am I on track? And for me on my station, you just get a station. I have six different charts of where I should be at each half hour mark to hit my pace. So that when I switch out a snack, I can look down and see, am I on my goal time for like the worst day possible on the chart or the best day possible on the chart? So I think just that knowing how long you have and what pace you would have to do to reach your goal is really helpful.
0: You mentioned earlier, the, um, the hundred mile race, you did the, the, uh, TARC ghost train trail race. Um, yeah. And that, that, um, you completed the 100 miles in, in 28 hours and 52 minutes. What is it like just running for 29 hours straight? I mean, um, you go through the night.
1: You do. Um, I think so that was my first 100, and I was a little bit smarter than I usually am, and then I went out cautiously. And I had trained one of the ultras, you the might have seen ultra sign-up, which was a 24-hour, but I only participated for six hours. So I had done that to get used to running through the night in the woods you know, to kind of acclimate myself to be better at spotting rocks and branches and not losing my cool every time it could be a bear in the woods. And um, so that kind of got me ready for it. The ghost train was wonderful. It is definitely an event where during the daytime, we kind of packed up with people with a similar goal. And then they do allow pacers for that. And I definitely felt at the end much better than I should have. My crew even said like, oh, she's doing much better than she should have. So I think the next one, I'll push that pace a little more. But I think the mentality there really is kind of with the saying of do nothing fatal. You know, you're better off taking a second to tend to your blister or changing your shoes than you are to run in them and set yourself up. Because if you've got 70 miles to go, any little injury is going to explode on you if you don't tend to it right away.
0: So in a 24 hour event, do you have planned breaks?
1: Yes, Uh, so you decide that for yourself. For me, myself, and for that event, my crew all knew which mile I was gonna be at for each change of clothing because the temperature varies drastically. And as you exercise your body, it's pretty bad at maintaining homeostasis by mile, you know, 70 or 80 in the overnight hours while you're sweating. We planned at what temperature would change. We planned at what hours we would transition. And then for myself, I had pre-packed a bag with the exact breakdown of calories and micronutrients per 15 miles so that I didn't have to think. I just knew I have this Ziploc bag. Most of the time, it was around 800 calories per Ziploc bag. And I would say, I need to finish this bag. And that will give me the right amount of sodium and potassium and calcium to have what my body needed. So being super ready to eat on the run and to not have to think about it, I think is crucial to get so through. So what
0: do you use for fuel? And
1: oh, that's the part that you just love him. In the ultra, you use real food.
0: So, <laughs> so, so no have, goo, no no sport beans. No, I didn't
1: want to. Yeah, I had gluten-free mac and cheese, some gluten-free pizzas. Um, the Burks community, whenever they do every race, they have vegan pizzas lots of times tons of potato chips and candy bars and pretzels and all the things people think athletes don't eat. You really need to, eat. <laughs> So there's, you know, there's plenty of, of lovely choices when you do get kind of toward night, uh, almost always there's a soup involved to get that sodium and that temperature back up. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah. You mentioned changing clothes earlier. I, I hadn't thought of that. How, m- how often do you do that during a 24 hour ultra?
1: In my 24 hours, um, I usually did it. Twice, usually once when it was getting dark and then once when it got really, really cold because everything I had had been swept through. Uh, so it does change. It depends a lot on the weather. You know, if it starts off 70, you might be in a tank top and shorts. But if the overnight hours are 40 and you're sweaty, you might need a sweatshirt. I know for the ghost train, I started in a tank top and I ended with two sweatshirts, long pants, a hat, gloves, kind of everything I could pack on my body because of that that challenge.
0: Well, in just three months prior to the um, your, the Ghost Train, you ran a um twenty another twenty four hour event, the Notch View. That was that the one you ran eight hours. I I, I think yeah. at, at night to to try to get used to nighttime running.
1: It was. Yep. It just was. I didn't do the whole twenty four. I just knew I needed the nighttime training.
0: So after an ultra like that, what's the recovery like?
1: So I've read a lot of things. Most of them say that for every mile run, your systems and your structures won't be 100% for about one day. So then, you know, that says three months. For me, I ran really easy after a week. And then I kind of got close to feeling like I was recovered by around the three week mark. I'm sure that, you know, a doctor could look at my systems and structures, my muscle tissue still being inflamed and things like that for quite a while after. It's almost hard to believe the science because you think you feel better but it is a lot of impact on the body. So it does take a while. Definitely not something I would do two hundreds in two weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> right.
0: So do you have a favorite ultra event? Uh, I would guess it'd be the Sweltering Summer 8-Hour Ultra in Pittsfield since you've run that uh, like five times.
1: <laughs> that is definitely at the top. I like, I guess when the pandemic hit, the two things that I grieved about other than the disastrous impact on human life was like Taylor Swift's concert being concert. Canceled. And then fall during summer being canceled. And you know, the real part of me was grieving for humanity. And like the silly part of me was well during summer that was disappointing. Other than that, I do really, really love that Rock the Ridge course. You finish on top of mountains in New York State and you just look down on this beautiful terrain. You know, so the view's a lot better at Rock the Ridge than at during summer. But right. uh, you're kind of on your own for that one.
0: Yeah, so, do you have any ultra events on the horizon? No, the Vermont 100 just got canceled.
1: It did, Tim, and it broke my heart that the Vermont 100 got canceled. Um, I had been scheduled to do that last year, of course, and things changed. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the entry process for that, but it's really quite challenging to get in.
0: You okay, have to no, call- I, I did look at the website re, uh, recently, and um, it's something about horses. Do, do you run with horses on that one?
1: Yeah, so for that one, horses race on the same course at the same time as people. In Vermont, we share a lot of training. So, like on the Vermont Fifty, we share with cyclists. The Vermont One Hundred, we share with horses. And to, to enter the Vermont One Hundred, you have to have a qualifying race and then be put in a lottery. So wow. you not enough to qualify. So you know it's a dream come true that I got in the lottery for 2019. Um, started the training then, and then was really grateful to continue training for it. Hopefully, hoping to go this year. And of course, it's very reasonable to cancel it for this year's for safety reasons. So. I've been kind of looking, I put myself on the Rock the Ridge 50 wait list. I've been looking at this hundred miler, which might make you think I've really lost my mind. Uh, there's one down in New Jersey. I think it's called the Haydensburg and it's a hundred miles on a one mile uh, loop. <laughs> and I was like, okay, the hardest part about doing an ultra during COVID is you can't have all these pacers and all the athletes together. And it's so much territory to have all the towns, you know, hundred miles, a lot of towns that you have to get to agree on precautions. So I was thinking, you know, if there's a hundred that they probably won't cancel, it'll probably be this one mile loop where I wouldn't need a pacer, I wouldn't need a crew. I can just drive myself down the last minute and and run in circles all day. Um, So maybe that, but definitely looking to rock the ridge in the fall, definitely hoping to do sweltering again this year, maybe some of our listeners, or you could join us and then maybe Vermont the 50 when they open up.
0: So is there a Holy grail of ultra running something equivalent to the Boston marathon?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few. So if you were, you know, Western States is the epitome of American ultra running for sure. Uh, Western States is a lot of terrain, extreme elevation and just like an amazing course. Vermont is pretty. The Round 100 is really quite well known. It's not quite as challenging by any means as that, but it's a lot of elevation. It's historic. There's a couple of Netflix documentaries on it, believe it or not. So those are big. Leadville is a really well known hundred because at Leadville, you don't really have to qualify. It's hard to get into.
0: I know someone who's running Leadville. I don't know if you know Erica Emerson. I
1: don't. How is she training for elevation?
0: I have no idea. I was going to ask you that question. How do you train for elevation? Um, I, I, Yeah, because it seems like most of these ultra events have lots of hills and elevation.
1: They do. I've never done anywhere elevation. Sickness is a problem. With Leadville, elevation sickness becomes a problem. Um, for me, for hills, for a lot of ultra athletes, if it's a small hill, you know, you go slower. If it's anything significant, most of us power walk it because over the course of 50 miles, you're just wasting energy.
0: Yeah. So a lot of mm-hmm. people
1: power hike the really big hills and then run the flats, run the downs.
0: So I'd like to talk about training. Um, you mentioned recently that you embraced the Hanson method uh, for, to train for long distance events. Um, can you just describe what that is?
1: Yeah, it's a method made popular kind of by a book by Luke Humphreys. He's got a podcast too. And it's based on the concept of cumulative fatigue. So instead of having one long run every week or every other week, you constantly put your body under pretty consistent strain. They do three workouts a week that he calls an SOS workout, something of significance. So a long run, a tempo run, and then um, some other type of speed work. And you are constantly hitting high miles. So for me, most of my days are looking between 8 and 14 miles.
0: Wow. So
1: It's the consistent running on your legs instead of the one week long run. So the idea there is that if you only do a real long run on the weekend, your mitochondria, your soft tissues aren't repaired for a couple of days. And then you don't have the ability to make use of all of your workouts that week. So with the Hansen method, you get used to running with your body tired, which is really helpful for the ultra. And you never run so far on the weekend that you have to recover during your training days. So for most athletes, the long run for the marathon for him is a 16 miler. It's based on a 20 to 30% of weekly mileage. And on the science that after two hours, you have diminishing returns on getting any benefit because you have so much more likelihood of injury.
0: Yeah, so the rule of thumb is like 20-mile long run to prepare for a marathon, but with the Hansen method, it's, it's 16 miles is the long run. Right. So does that um, extrapolate to uh, the ultra events where the, you, you run, with the Hansen method run a certain percentage of the, let's say you're running 100 miles, Do you, do you what would be the longest run to train for that?
1: So it's based on the weekly mileage, so my marathons I just did were my longest runs I'll be doing. Right now, for my fifth for my 100 miler, I did a couple 50Ks as my long run. But again, you know, if you want to do your long run only a month or so before your event and you're going to be paying for it with inflammation, for some athletes like myself, you just end up being worn down still at the event itself. So for me, I start the Hampton Method. He's got a book out. And then I add my mileage on top of that to go from the marathon to the ultra. So I start with his method and then add slow miles on top of it. Using that 80-20 recipe, a lot of people use of 80% easy running, 20% hard running during the week.
0: How have you avoided injury, you know, running such long distances?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I did have one injury back, I don't know, four or five years ago. That was pretty bad. So I learned from that. And I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy Ribs. Do you know him at all? No. He is a well-known runner in the ultra community, and he's currently unfortunately battling cancer, but he does a lot of training methods and he does a lot of training work with the iFit community who I'm a part of. And he has um, a saying that he always talks about that before your injury screams at you, it whispers and that if you listen to the whisper, it won't have to scream. And that's one of the many insightful things I've learned from Tommy Reeves along the years that if I think like, Oh, my legs feel a little different. They don't feel sore. They feel a little injured in previous life. I probably would have thought, you know, it'll be fine. But now I think, Oh, it's whispering. And then I back off a little bit for a day or two and really wait until that whisper goes away. So kind of being super aware of my body has been really helpful and working on forgiving myself if i don't stick to the plan exactly
0: i feel like my body whispers to me a lot and, and so i usually <laughs> manage that by taking ibuprofen <laughs> but um
1: if it works you do it
0: <laughs> right right so um so anyway let's um talk for a minute about your just your um uh, professional accomplishments so you, you coach co- cross country at, at T- T- Square regional high school in fiskdale which is near Sturbridge. um so has your experience coaching running informed your own running personal? Yeah, running? I
1: coached from 2010 to 2014. I stopped when I was writing my dissertation. It was just too much. But I think the, the wonderful gift of coaching is that it reminded me that running isn't training, that training has to have a plan for every workout, a purpose for every workout. And by making sure I had a plan routine for my athletes to hit their PRs, it reminded me I need the same for myself. And then in addition to reminding me that I need a long run, a speed day, a tempo run, it also reminded me of the value of going slow, you know, because the wonderful thing about high school coaching is that you have some athletes who have never run before. And you start slow, you start run walking. And when I was coaching, I did find that even though in the moment you might not think that's building your fitness, it really was laying a good foundation so I'll always be grateful for my, my athletes for teaching me, you know, go slow is okay. And the value of having every workout have a reason.
0: So um, I saw a video on the Tintasqua website in which a student was interviewing former Boston Celtics, great Tom Satch Sanders. Um, now you're way too young to n- remember who Tom Sanders was, but is, is he involved with the school somehow?
1: I hate to say, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe it was just a student project. I, I didn't know if he was affiliated with the school, but.
1: <laughs> he could be. We are really lucky. Our school is full of teachers who really work hard to maintain and create connections like that. So it's highly likely that one of my wonderful colleagues made that connection and did it and that I'm horrible at not keeping track of it. I'm mm-hmm. really sorry for that.
0: Yeah, Satch Sanders, he played for the Celtics back in the 60s and, and they won a lot of championships back then. So you've um, traveled all around the world on work assignments. I, I know that you went to Bulgaria and to Germany. Um, so did you get a chance to do any running while you were out on those assignments?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, everywhere I've been, I've always made it a priority to run. Sometimes that means at 4 a.m. Uh, because of schedules, but I'm sure there are many runners. When I don't run, I'm not my best self.
0: Cindy and I, we were in Stockholm a few years ago and, you know, we, we, Ran, you know ran there it was really a, a neat experience and um you know we've been to she's gone to conferences in chicago where we've run along lake michigan it's it's, uh, it's it can be a lot of fun to to run when you're on vacation or traveling
1: absolutely and along lake michigan Tim. next time you're there there is an ultra that runs around that that could be you one day oh that could time.
0: be me <laughs> yeah um, so actually you, I know you've been to Berlin, and um, I I used to travel there on business quite a bit, and um, I always thought it would be neat to run the Berlin Marathon and finish on the Brandenburg Gate, Um, and that's- that's, I've heard
1: good things about it.
0: Yeah, that's one of the World Marathon major events, so it's difficult to get into, but um, so when does your Johns Hopkins work begin?
1: So I'm teaching psychology of memory um, for the Center for Talented Youth at Hopkins. I'm starting June, I think it's the 26th. So I'll still, of course, be in Western Mass and teaching remotely. And my main calling is still my work at the high school and then doing crisis work. But I'm really excited to be on the Johns Hopkins staff and to be able to access all of the amazing people there to help learn from them. Should be really amazing.
0: Yeah, you've taught at some um, prestigious places. You also taught at Yale.
1: Yeah, I was at Yale for a summer program for young kids who were... Uh, quite gifted. And so they were doing high level curriculum at Yale. And that was really fun to see small bodies with really deep, complex minds. That was always really exciting to do.
0: It's certainly been a pleasure catching up with you, Sarah. Um, I hope to see you soon at a local running event, though you won't, you probably won't see me at any ultras.
1: Well, Tim, you know, if you're looking to come back from that time off, it might be just the place for you. A little walk run is perfect. Um, I hope to see you at Ashley soon. I will be slow because the last year I've been focusing on distance and not at all on speed.
0: Well, if you do a local ultra event, maybe I could, I'll do a few laps with you.
1: Oh, you totally should. And there's a lot of them that have different distances, but I know like during has a 5k option on the same loop. Uh, so there's definitely always a way to get you involved and to check out our community and maybe pull you into the cult.
0: Great. Well, well, thanks for being on the Let's Run podcast.
1: Thank you so much for thinking of me, Tim. It's great to see you.
0: I'm recording this final podcast segment on Sunday, May 23rd, which is almost two weeks after May 10th, the date in which in-person road races were permitted to resume pending approval of local boards of health. Yet, as of right now, a look at the websites of the local running clubs indicates that they are still scheduling time trials and not traditional races. However, that could change at any moment, so check their websites for the latest information. On Monday evenings at Stanley Park in Westfield, the Empire One Running Club hosts a three-mile cross-country run. On Tuesday evenings, the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club Host a 5K cross country run that starts on Burt's Pits Road in Northampton. On Wednesday evenings, the Greater Springfield Harriers host their summer sizzler events at Forest Park. The run on Wednesday, May 26th, will be on the 5K cross country route. And on Thursday evenings, the Empire Owen Running Club hosts runs at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke, and the Elks is open for pre and post race activities. The weather was really great last week and the running clubs had a decent turnout for their time trials. Henry Damarski from Empire One has been crushing it during these time trials. He was the first overall finisher on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Probably the only reason he didn't win Wednesday was because he didn't run. As far as other races go, I checked both the Harriers website and Running in the USA, and the events I found for June were the same ones that I reported on last week. However, I did find a new event in July, the Chesterfield Gorge Ultra, that is tentatively scheduled to take place on July 10th and 11th, pending Board of Health approval. This event starts on Saturday the 10th and ends on Sunday, July 11th. You can choose your own distance, either a 50K, 50 mile, 100K, or 100 mile. There's also a 25K race that starts on Sunday morning. Wednesday, June 2nd is Global Running Day. Fleet Feet in Longmeadow is hosting an in-person fun run starting at 6.30 p.m. The event is called Big Run. Also, I believe that Tim and Jill Murphy are hosting a Global Running Day fun run from their 4Run3 store in East Longmeadow starting at 6 p.m. on June 2nd. The Bay State NICU Family and Friends 5K and 10K run and one-mile walk is an in person event that will take place at Minichog High School in Wilbraham on Saturday, June 12th. Jesse's 5K Run and Two Mile Walk is an in person event scheduled for Sunday, June 27th at Nathan Bill's in Springfield. Although it's not official, it appears that the Harriers' Big Fourth 5K will be an in person event at the Basketball Hall of Fame on Sunday, July 4th. The Hartford Marathon Foundation Yukon Health Half Marathon, 10K and 5K, formerly known as the Iron Horse, will take place in Simsbury on Saturday, June 5th. Check out the HMF website to learn about this and other HMF events. I'd like to highlight a few noteworthy accomplishments during the past week. Jill Murphy, who was on the Let's Run podcast a couple of weeks ago, successfully completed her first ultra of 50K which is 31.07 miles, as part of the virtual Cowtown Marathon, which is an event based in Fort Worth, Texas. Joe got some nice bling for that event. In keeping with the ultra theme of this podcast, Dave Martula from the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club, who's 74 years young and an accomplished ultra runner, showed up at Stanley Park in Westfield at 6 a.m. last Thursday to complete the Old Colony Marathon. While the Old Colony is not an ultra event, I used the ultra sign-up website that Sarah mentioned earlier in the podcast and discovered 43 ultra events that Dave has previously completed. So congratulations to Dave on completing yet another marathon last week and being an inspiration to the rest of us aging runners. And speaking of the Old Colony marathon, John Platter from Empire One also completed it. John is deaf and belongs to the Achilles Track Club, which promotes physical activity for handicapped people. John was accompanied by Achilles guide, Mike Sheldon. Congratulations to John and Mike, who walked the 26.2 miles starting at 12.30 a.m. By the way, John has completed 31 New York City marathons. And finally, kudos to Ashley Mellon for her awesome performance in the Jim Thorpe Marathon, which runs along the Lehigh Gorge Trail in Pennsylvania. Ashley completed the marathon with a time of 3 hours, 21 minutes, 52 seconds, which is a little over 8 minutes faster than her Boston qualifying time. Congratulations to Ashley, and good luck getting into Boston in 2022. By the way, the Jim Thorpe Marathon looks like a neat event. Runners and spectators take a scenic 26-mile train ride through Lehigh Gorge State Park, to get to the starting area spectators stay on the train and share the runners before being transported back to the finish area thank you for listening to the let's run western mass running podcast if you enjoy the podcast please subscribe and share with your friends and as always happy running